Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Pick a Flick. Oh no, I'm gone. We're not Pick a Flick today. We're Pick a Disc. My name's Matthew Latham and a frequent guest on Pick a Flick who's fronting a backdoor pilot about music, which fits quite well. Pick a Disc is some is a idea where we look at nominated albums that people want us to talk about. It's very similar to how Pick a Flick works in how the audience nominates films. It'd be the exact same thing, but with albums. With me in the debut episode is Lee Crimes. Say hello. 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 Lee's here because he's a fan of the artist that we're talking about, and he's also like a big, massive music fan. He's been in bands in the past, and he's probably lost count of how many times he's been to download and other festivals, etc., etc. I'll be going again this year, in fact, only on the Saturday for Sabbath. But uh, yeah, so, um, and before we begin, I'd like to thank Kevin Wright, who is Weak Lemon Drink on Twitter, who has nominated the album that we'll be talking about today. He's nominated films that I think have been spoken on Big Flick on episodes that I've been on, I think, because I think I remember Tony mentioning them. I can't remember for the life of me which films they were. I've tried to look back. Um, Sorry, Kevin, but thank you for nominating this album. With that introduction out of the way... Let's pick a disc. Murder Ballads is the ninth studio album by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, released in 1996 on Mute Records. As its title suggests, the album consists of new and traditional murder ballads, a genre of songs that relays the details and often consequences of crimes of passion. It was produced by Victor Van Vuk... 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 I don't know. Yeah, I've never been able to pronounce that either. I think it's Victor Van Vuk... 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 Produced by a guy named Victor... And, yes. <laughs> ...and the Bad Seeds, and it clocks in at 58 minutes and 43 seconds. Lee, so how familiar are you with Nick Cave and murder ballads in general? 
Nick Cave is an artist that I've been listening to for a long time. I think I uh, I first heard his music, like a lot of people would have done, when it was featured both in the first Scream movie and in an episode of The X-Files, uh, Red Right Hand off the album before Murder Ballads, Let Love In, and liked the sound of it, the kind of dark baroque, kind of alt swamp rock sound thing that he does, and dug out a lot of his other albums. And then I've just been picking up his, his recordings as and when ever since then, discovering his career kind of before and after other bands that he's been in, his subsequent soundtrack work, his um, move off into little side project bands. He's got a really broad body of work that covers lots of different genres and styles. He's kind of vocal style being the main thing that ties it all together. But um, I, yeah, I would say I've been listening to Nick Cave for easily 20 years now. Uh, and so you, you look at, so is he one of your favourite artists? Would you So if you was to list your favourite artists, would he be in the top 10 then? Or? I don't know about top 10, but he'd definitely be, be in like a top artist somewhere just because he's got so many songs of his that I love. And one of his albums is one of my all-time favourite albums. So yes, he's definitely a, a favourite. Yeah, I'm assuming that favourite album isn't Murder Ballads, or is it? Or? It isn't. It's the album before uh, Let Love In from 94, which just has more of my favourite songs on it in his start to finish a classic album. Um, the album before that, um, Henry's Dream from 92, is also brilliant. So Murder Ballads is a very... It's a, the same kind of sound as those two, but very different style. It's a lot more experimental and a lot darker in subject matter the only knowledge of nick cave that i've really had was where the wild roses are mm-hmm. where the wild roses are where the, where wild, the wild roses, roses grow. grow you're sorry. thinking of where the wild things are yes sorry say so that's the only song i really know mainly because it was on the greatest hits of colin minogue or ultimate kylie and mm. but it's a really really good song and nick and when i was reading about the song i kind of always wanted to dive into nick cave and when this was one of the first that was suggested, I was like, oh, yes, yes, I really wanted to listen to the album. So I kind of jumped at that. As soon as someone mentioned it, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, we'll do this as the pilot. Apart from that, I really know knowledge about Nick Cave. I, it, I, didn't, I don't know any of his songs. Uh, he, probably, he probably, it might be something that, might be a case that there are some songs that I didn't realise were Nick Cave. Uh, like later on or something so I, I didn't know he was in scream well it was in scream at all so yeah this is like the first nick cave album i've listened to in full it's a it's a challenging one to start on is uh, is what i will say i really i liked it there's a lot of stuff to like there's bits of it uh i well not struggle well, yeah perhaps struggle with a bit but i generally i was quite impressed with with it and i'll probably explain a bit more as we go through the album but yeah so i've generally listened to it a few times and uh, finished it listened to it again whilst doing the ironing this morning and it was mm. yeah it was okay this yeah some bits will we'll touch on later on but it's going to be generally it's a generally positive impression of the album for me anyway the album opens up with song of joy introducing you to the themes of the album uh, there's nick cave com- comes in with this very dark very very uh, carefully enunciated yes. uh vocals yeah yeah is that his actual voice or does he deliberately make his voice deeper when he sings no he has got i've got an audio book of his um somewhere and his natural voice is pretty close to his singing voice just um you know obviously with the singing voice has a lot more 
volume behind it, but he has got that kind of dark, carefully spoken wording to everything that he does. You know, his Australian accent doesn't come out as much when he sings as opposed to his, his natural voice, but it's uh, it's pretty much how he always sounds. Yeah, so it's not like that Eddie's are where he goes, hello, we're the Romans, because hello, I'm Nick Cave, I'm ready to sing this. Hello. No, no, I don't think he uh, really knows how to sound any other way. Mm. It's not, it, this, the song is not a personal wasn't a personal highlight, so I'm not I'm not going to be speaking too much about it. But it's a mm. it's a nice introduction, like almost haunting, like lulling you into what the album is. There's like a lot of piano and there's a lot of foreboding strings that go a bit wonky in an offbeat sort of way. In the end, uh, it reminded it reminded me a little. There's a bit of wit being played. It reminded mm-hmm. me a little of Dexter, the, the TV series. His narration at points, uh, as I think the narrator of the the song is pretty much a drifter wandering from house to house. Do you have a room and then killing the people he stays with? Yeah, it's all about the, the whole concept of murder ballads as a thing anyway, where they are just, you know, songs that people put together to tell a story about a famous murder, but do so in a kind of entertaining, lyrical kind of way. And that's what he, uh, that's what he taps into with it, really. It's... It's indicative of the style of the rest of the album in a lot of ways because of the, you know, very deliberate... Um, it's mainly verses with just quite short refrains for the choruses, um, not following like a traditional song structure in any way. So it's more about like big long verses and passages getting you through what's going on. But um, yeah, it, it does set up the kind of dark, very sort of not immediately accessible sound of the rest of things quite well. Yeah, yeah. And and then as soon as that's set up, the album moves to perhaps one of my or the highlight of the album for me personally with Staggered Lee, which is which suddenly goes fully upbeat, more or less upbeat in like a jazzy style way, which is a, a it was based off an old folk song called <clears throat> called Staggered Lee itself. And I think Nick Cave takes this folk song and just makes it more graphically violent. And there's a lot of black humour in it. Uh, it's based off the, the song. The, the song in general is based off a guy called Lee Shelton, who was called Stagger Lee, um, an African American pimp who lived in St. Louis, in Missouri, in the 19th century. He was nicknamed Stag Lee or Stack Lee, and it's never been fully pinned down why he was called that. He, Just some kind of nickname, I guess. Who knows why anyone in the 19th century had any kind of crazy nickname? Yeah, yeah. He was known locally as one of the Max, a group of pimps who demanded attention through their flashy clothing and appearance. In addition to these activities, he was the captain of the Black 400 Club, a social club with dubious reputation. It's a song that's been done by stacks of people. There's a very famous um, kind of rock and roll Motown version of it um, back in the day. I'm pretty sure there's... Uh, I think there's a version of it on a Tarantino soundtrack that's a lot more kind of Motone-y. Um, that's on, I think it's on the Death Proof soundtrack. So it's, it's one that's been done a lot. Yeah. Nick it, Cave we, here channels a lot more of his, like I said, his, his earlier punkier sound in this because it's a lot you know, punchier and hardier and I suppose edgier than um, a lot of the more ballady songs on the album. Yeah, the, the version that Cave sings draws most of the lyrics from a 1967 transcription published in a 1976 book called Life, the Law and Folk Poetry of the Black Hustler. So he kind of takes a few of those and plays around with them at the time. Um, but it, what shocked me was that it's actually quite funny in places in how frank the language is and mm-hmm. it's quite gra- graphic, 
psychographic, but this strong language is used in a very comical way to create this image of this like rough guy, this like rough guy you don't really want to mess with. And I think it works really well. It also does it in a very upbeat, in a very upbeat like jazzy punky way, which sounds sounds really good and nothing like the introduction that you just heard in the last song. You can see in a way why. When, when the Wild Roses Grow became a big hit, Nick Kay was a little bit worried that people would be rushing out to buy the album and then thinking, like two songs in, like, what the hell have I set myself in for here? Because it's, it, it was a purposefully different song to a lot of, of um, the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. There's a website called thestaggerly.com which lists different versions of the, the different versions of the song that have been released or recorded. Um, I don't know if it's been if it's been updated for a while because the last date was 2010. But can you guess how many versions of the song has been released? Oh, a couple of dozen at least, if it's that old story. Like I said, including you, this one, I know at least two others that I can think of. Yeah, you're nowhere near that number. <laughs> is it more like sort of 40 or 50 even? You're nowhere near that number. Oh wow, ah, it's that is 428. As you of go, two- you see, that's a folk song for you. Yeah. I'll scroll all the way down, but then that hasn't been updated, I don't think, since 2010, because there's got to have been people who've done it in the last six years mm. as well. But 428 since the early 20th century, which is ridiculous. I mean, that's how folk songs and a lot of kind of early blues uh, recordings work as well. That, you know, one guy just do the same song about 10 times in a, a slightly different ways, and then another 10 guys would just do their own versions of it in the same way, and they just expand exponentially so that moves on to another lee called henry lee featuring pj harvey a song Mm -hmm. a song which probably has a lot more has a lot more on the behind the scenes of the actual recording than Mm. perhaps the actual recording itself because i think was it was it were they in a relationship at the time or was it Um, because it's a bit tricky to pinpoint because the this was recorded during the sessions for the two previous albums so it was recorded kind of in 93 94 and then a bit more again in 95 um so nick cave and pj harvey's relationship is a bit vague it kind of was was a big thing for about two years and then it ended very suddenly and, and nick his next album is basically an entire album full of breakup songs about this one um but it's obvious that they're already they work, worked together really well at this point so henry lee is a absolutely gorgeous song and it's it's very indicative of Nick Cave's standard kind of ballad style of doing things. Just this really nice, lush, slightly melancholy, but full kind of strings or, or um, piano, all the other kind of things flowing nicely into each other. And again, just a very, even in the very, like Lou Reed style, he might be singing about something that's quite, you know, dark or sad. He just does it with a kind of softness and clean vocal style that uh, makes very easy to listen to and as well very easy to follow the actual story which is the whole point of these things it's another one that's a reworking of a folk song uh, it's young hunting or known as some variants as love henry it's a traditional folk song um, and has origins in scotland like traditional songs numerous variants of the song exist worldwide notably under the title of henry lee and love henry in the united states earl richard and the proud girl in the united kingdom the song, which can be traced back as far as the 18th century, narrates the tale of the eponymous protagonist, Young Hunting, who tells a woman who may have borne him a child that he's in love with another more beautiful woman, and then ends with him killing her, as you do. Well, that's what a lot of these songs are about, unfortunately. 
Yeah, Nick Cave, um, Coven, Nick Cave has referred to it as a story of the fury, about the fury of a scorned woman. And the video, uh, which I watched for the first time this morning, features just Nick Cave and PJ Harvey just kind of skirting around each other before, like, like you can see the sexual attraction there, and it's quite, I think probably at the time it was quite, well, not raunchy, but very sexually charged for in the mid 90s for a music video but there's a lot you can kind of see the chemistry there and it's probably probably the reason the song's probably more known for certain people because of the the two of them in that video the interplay between their two voices is really nice because his is so deep and pj harvey who's got a great vocal range anyway purposefully sings in a really high register voice to balance it out and it just it just makes for a perfect song all around yeah and then we move on to the fourth track in the album which is lovely creature which I think is an original one, but it kind of drifts into the background because of the song that it follows and the song that will follow it in the album. This one just kind of feels like a filler track, more or less, because you've had Staggerly, which is the upbeat one, and you had this really nice tragic song between with Nick Cave and PJ Harvey. This one is more... It's like a filler episode of TV, I think. It's it's it's, it's trying to like calm and listen to down after the last two. And from what from what I've gathered, it's Ultimate Guitar is not a good resource to check things out. But uh, it, it, apparently, there's only one chord that plays throughout the song, which, if that's true, explains a lot. Well, a lot of these um, songs are quite minimal. It's almost as if you you write the song and then you just strip bits back out of it. I think it's it's this one or one of the other tracks feels like it's got it should have a classic kind of do 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 like. You know, um, bluesy, sad ballad uh, riff playing in the background, but that isn't in it. So it's almost as if they wrote the song with that in and then just took that out to see what was yeah. left of it to keep it very simple. It's... In a way, the, the mixtape um, thinking of um, High Fidelity is very accurate here. When um, I can't remember the character's name, but when John Cusack is explaining the logic behind how you put a mixtape together, you know, start with something good, take it up a notch, but don't throw all your classics out too soon bring it back it's the mm-hmm. same same way you approach like how you build up the energy of a gig or even like of you know fights or, um spots within a wrestling match or anything else like that you don't th- throw like a wall of classics at people straight away you need to kind of build people up and down again and give them chance because this is an album that you don't just pop on like a song here and there you put yeah. the whole thing on and you just listen to it and absorb it yeah. so as a result it needs to ebb and flow with the energy of it and that's what songs like lovely creature do quite well yeah so yeah it's 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 one that it is one i probably won't revisit or won't loosely before i skip it if i listen to the album again because it then leads up to another one of the highlights and it's the and it's where the wild roses grow featuring colin minogue and it's probably the the most known song on the album mm-hmm. uh, it was nominated for all manner of awards it was slap bang in the middle of kylie's very um high profile like anti-pop indie cred kind of phrase when yeah, she was um, hanging out with Michael Hutchins and it's, it's the Manic Street Preachers. Yeah, it's, I still maintain it's the... I'm a Michael Kyle Minogue fan. Well, not massively, massively fan, but I'm, I'll never... I can't slag anything to you because I always think that she's always been good at what she does. But I think this period is... Because this is from 1994, um, the self-titled album, and up to 97's Impossible Princess. That period is just great kind of anti-pop stuff and I, I think this song helped her kind of distance away from that because I think yeah no one expected it from her at that time 
it gave her the cred that she needed prior to her doing the, the light years pop comeback. I mean, there's other songs that are on hit, hidden away on like B-sides and greatest hits albums of this time that are very similar to this kind of song. There's one called Take Me With You. That's like this great, um, quite sort of trippy nine minute long song that's um, very indicative of this kind of style. But yeah, it was just such a massive smash, so different to what anyone else was used from her. And no one had outside of like you know the people who knew about him at that point had really heard of nick cave so all of a sudden everyone's rushing out to try and find his albums based on this one like gorgeous um, ballad that they put together it's 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 a really great song and when you mentioned pj harvey's kind of sings quite high in henry lee colin minogue isn't as high as pj harvey in this she's very kind of laid back and wispy and kind of yeah this is sensual and it's Again, it's the singing style that she was trying to move towards to get away from how she was known for sounding because she wanted to show off, you know, her range as a vocalist and her style and everything else. Yeah. The, and again, it just, it was what worked for the song. I think this I think this must have been recorded after um, the self-title came out because Confide in Me was 94, I think. So, mm, she, exactly. prob- so she probably established she was capable of being quite low and quite that very whispery. Mm. that kind of well that's basically um can't get you out of my head isn't it yeah yeah but then and then she comes out with this and i think i think because of the if i'm if i remember reading earlier that nick k was actually nominated for an mtv award because of this song which he mm-hmm. then basically said no i don't want to be nominated for because he quite rightly felt that that's not really what it's not an accurate portrayal of what his sound is like. It was a very purposefully very different song that they did mm-hmm. um, that works brilliantly well in the context of the album. But if you go and listen, it's it's unlike like 80% of the rest of Nick Cave's songs. I mean, obviously, you've got Henry Lee, which is similar in a way. But I think it wasn't until after this point that Nick Cave started doing a lot more songs like this. So up to that point, Nick Cave's sound was a lot closer to songs like... Um, Staggerly or um, Crow Jane or Curse of Millhaven that we'll get to later on than it was um, Wild Roses. Random Matt fact, Matt Latham fact. For years, for years, I thought this song was about Nick Cave not liking the main character from My Fair Lady. Interesting. Yeah, because for some reason I thought that Eliza Day was the name of Hordry Hepburn's character in the film. Oh, okay. So Eliza Doolittle, is it? Yes. Yes. Uh, for, yeah, for some reason, I always thought that this song was supposed to be a reference to that for some reason. But uh, yeah, and the story itself is about uh, the Wild Roses, like a, is, I think it's a British urban legend, I think, about a woman who just, I think it's British or, not Ireland, I think, apparently. Um, I think it's Irish, yeah. Yeah, about a woman who was just introduced to a stranger and then bought her like a red rose and the next few days took her to a river and just bashed, his, bashed her head in. Mm-hmm. As you do, with a rock, and I think again, it's a, it's. I think that's like at least the third, the third song which is based on folklore. But it's, I'm right in thinking this is an original song that that, that Nick Cave wrote. Yeah, I mean, some of them are more directly lifted. Some of them just happen to have the same name as another one. Some of them are inspired by, but he's done his own take on them. The previous two, Henry Lee and Stagger Lee, that was they were ba- working off old songs. Yeah, and um, this one's working off an old story but with original content. It, it's what, it's one of the better ones. It, it, again, this was one of the ones that I heard on the uh, Best Of, but it had just been such a massive hit back in the day that, that you couldn't have gotten away mm. from it back when it f- first broke. Yeah. 
this really nice dark song ends and then you just get this really chaotic start which just wakes you up and it shifts into like an upbeat accordion folky style well it's just it's your side b track one moment isn't it yes yeah it's very very good it's quite again it's got that kind of humorous not wanting to take if you take yourself and take it seriously but not that seriously right humor in it Um, a lot of nick cave stuff works on similar levels of humor so if you've you know, if you've already connected with that and you like that about him, then you'll like that across basically all of his work. Oh, okay. It's it's place in the track listing feels quite deliberate, as you said. It's mm. it's the you need to carry on listening to the second half of the album. Well, not exactly a chorus. It's the end of the verse, each verse with a la 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 la, la kind of. Yeah, it's it's the, the so refrain. It, it's like I said, it's it's a move away from a deliberate verse, chorus, bridge, middle kind of structure to just kind of having like a short refrain to just tie the chunks of verses together. And again, Curse of Millhaven's got more in common with his preceding albums in terms of its faster, more upbeat style. Um, Henry's Dream, like two albums before this, is almost entirely kind of up-tempo, like quite heavy folk rock songs, really. So this is very uh, typical of that in that regard. Oh, OK, OK. And... Curse of Millhaven. It's had a quick look. Millhaven's actually a fictional town. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. It was created by an author called Peter Straub. Mm-hmm. Uh, Horror novelist. Oh, is he? I wasn't, I wasn't... Yeah, yeah, he's, he's like a... a... That that is one of his main genres, I think. He's he's horror. He's done a lot of work in that regard. No, oh, okay. I, I did try to do a bit more digging, and there's a band called Millhaven, but they're from Germany. And we move on to the next song, which is the Kindness of Strangers, which I don't have that much 
know what it's about. It's probably one of the more forgettable songs on the album for me, to be yeah. honest. It, it's a similar kind of one in um, to Lovely Creature in a way that it's just a kind of it's just a story. And it's just one that you just kind of leave rolling over in the background and you just let it do its thing. There's not really much memorable about it, and I think it probably what stops one of the reasons I think that this album doesn't jump out at me as a whole is because of tracks like this. Because of, with the stronger albums, every song has its has its own memorable moments, no matter what its role is. And the same with, with Lovely Creature and with The Kindness of Strangers. It kind of fades away and it kind of fades into nothingness, whereas where, and you can kind of skip it and not feel like you missed out. Whereas I think the stronger albums, you kind of have to listen to all the songs to make it all fit and flow. There's a song, um, I think it's on uh, Henry's Dream, called Stranger Than Kindness, that's just a very simple kind of ascending, descending, um, fast-strummed guitar riff that I think this, I always felt like this took a little bit of inspiration from, really. But again, in a lot of ways, this is more just bringing you back down a little bit, just, you know, telling you a story. It's one of those songs that, musically, it doesn't have to do a lot because it's just trying to, you know, deliver a message in a story and give you something out. And because Murder Ballads isn't one of those albums that's built around having singles, it can just have these mood pieces a lot more easily because they just, you know, allow you as the listener to take your foot off the gas a little bit and get ramped up for the next, uh, the last few tracks. Okay, and as from moving from that, we go to Crow Jane, which it's another serious, it's another serious one, and one of the few reviews in my research for the album, perhaps one of the few that. That was perhaps it's got an average score. I think it's from Spin Magazine from 1996. Um, I think they gave it like five out of ten. And one of the things that it mentions, which I kind of agree with, but not on the same scale as Spin Magazine, saying that the album loses its way when it sometimes gets too serious. Mm. And I can see that, but I don't. But then you've got some song, some of the really good songs, which are really serious, like Where the Wild Roses Grow, Henry Lee, which work really well. I think Crow Jane is another one of these, which again, not probably fades in comparison to the other songs on the album. And I, and I think that Whereas Lovely Creature was building you up for the next two, Kindness of Strangers and Crow Jane, they're like just under four, four and a half minutes each, so they're not longer songs, because they're gearing you up for the, the song that appears after Crow Jane. So again, it's just setting you in, getting you ready for the next onslaught. It, I know that the, I think these are the songs that they, these last few are the ones that were written um, for the Henry's Dream sessions, that they did, they can, or maybe it was the Let Love In sessions, that they didn't have anything to do with, they weren't really sure... Um, where they would fit. Um, O'Malley's Bar was one of the ones that they put together and were like, this won't go on any of our recordings. And <laughs> I think more songs came out of that session and those vibes that these ones are like. So they almost form a kind of suite, um, the, the sort of tracks six through nine, kind of building. They're all of a similar kind of style. They all kind of build into each other. They've got that um, kind of slightly evil, folky, swampy sound to them. And again, you know, they're not they're not designed to be pop-out tracks and singles like Stagger Lee or Henry Lee or Wild Roses. They're just there to kind of form a narrative that holds the second side of the record together. Okay. And then we lead up to O'Malley's Bar, which is about 14 and a half minutes long. Mm-hmm. And I remember and I remember looking at the album when it was first referenced, looking through, and I thought, bloody hell, I struggle with long songs, if I'm honest. So I think... Yeah, you just got to get the right ones. Yeah. I think if it's... 
There's a song on one of my favourite albums of all time, which I won't mention just in case it gets brought up at, at a later date. But it's about seven and a half minutes, and that's one of the few songs that over seven minutes that I can pretty much stand to listen all the way through. I'm Head a... off and go listen to 2112 by Rush, and then, then we'll uh, have something to talk about. <laughs> Why are those? Is that full of? That is that is 20 minutes long, I think. It, it's, it's just over that. It's the whole first side of the album of the same name, and it's one of Rush's most amazing songs it's this god how many pieces is it seven parts i think sort of um symphony thing and it's just it's just outstanding but does that song break up and go into different pieces throughout the 20 minutes it does and that's the difference between this there's a song on um i think it's nocturama called babe i'm on fire that's very similar just like a 15 minute jam piece basically that just keeps building up and down but it's essentially about a dozen verses just one after the other with a little kind of break in between um just act as a refrain o'malley's bar is just a, a very long story with lots of stuff going on in it and they just said well let's just see how much we can cram into this and uh, come back to it later and then that's how you ended up with uh, so much of it lyrically and the storytelling wise it's it, I, I liked it and it's but i think o'malley's bar is one of those songs that you can listen to once and then but when, when i've when i've tried to listen to it again i think i've only managed to listen to it all the way through like, as a whole but twice and mm. any and then I've, I've had to kind of skip it because it it does it, it does get repetitive in terms of the fact it doesn't really build or change or do anything yeah. to keep your fucking i mean the storytelling is great but then when you've got kind of the same pattern repeating repeating that you've know that you know it's happening it kind of gets all samey and with song with a longer song i've always think but this is this is like a personally subjective opinion on songs over a certain amount of time so you kind of need to switch it up to kind of keep the interest in so like you got bohemian rhapsody which i think is about seven minutes i can't remember exactly but that that breaks up i think that rush song you mentioned that mm-hmm. probably breaks up into was it seven parts oh it's every bit of it's very different it, it's a classic song but it's still classed as one song mm. yeah and and that, that's probably more enjoyable to listen because you can kind of break and you keep your attention this one i can it's it's probably the main one of or the deliberate focal point that it's all building up to, in terms of it being the grand finale of the album, but it just keeps it just keeps building up. I remember listen again listening to it this morning when I was trying to listen to it all the way through. I remember going, "How long's it been?" Looked at the clock; and it was only five minutes in. I'm like, "Bloody hell!" Yeah, if you're not invested in the storytelling every time you listen to it, then you know it's one that you can just safely skip past without yeah. getting too guilty. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the Lord of the Rings films that you can say you've at least watched them once, but whether you want to go and sit down and watch them again. Yeah, especially the special editions. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I've, I've seen them. I've watched them all once. I don't know if I can sit through them again. And that concludes the main part of the album because the the last track is the one which doesn't have any death in it. it it's the the in-joke almost. It's an old Bob Dylan cover that most of the band and a bunch of other people who were just hanging around the studio at the time all come in to just sing some vocals on. And in a way, it's just a kind of... Again, it fits with the sense of humour of the rest of it, that you've just had these nine varyingly sort of humorous, sad and intense songs about death and murder and all this dark stuff. And then it's just one at the end to say, but it's all right because there are other things going on in the world and... You know, you should just can't mystery science theater three thousand style. You know, you just 
relax don't worry about things too much and just kind of go and get on with your day yeah exactly it's from bob dylan's 1988 album down in the groove down in the groove and it's very quite positive upbeat song saying upbeat song about you know what death's death's coming but it's not the end live your life etc 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 and considering all the stuff that's came from it, it i'm assuming nick cave's got a has he got like a well-known sense of humor oh definitely i mean this album's very uh a very good example of most of that really um songs right throughout his career i think from uh, 1990s the good son onwards is when he kind of allows that to be a more uh a more focused part of of his work because before then he was just quite an angry young punky guy who was just running around shouting at things um from those albums onwards when he mellowed out and found this more baroque kind of sound that, that he was aiming for that's when you get him allowing more of his sense of humor to creep through and then it just dips in variously in and out of songs and albums over the years following that yeah, and it's also got, as you said, it's just people walking into the recording booth. It's like that last song in a musical where the cast come out for its final, like, show-stopping number. And uh, um, I can't, I, I did write down, but I think I've deleted it about who actually comes in, because I think PJ Harvey and Kyle Minogue sing in it. I can't, I don't recognise the other male voices in there. Do you know who sings in it? Um, I have got a note of this somewhere. I think a lot of it is uh, members of the band, so there's a lot of session musicians. Um what did they call them? Oh, I'm, I'm having to check Wikipedia here, full disclosure, to check this out. It's the uh, the Moron Tabernacle Choir, as they call themselves. And it's essentially the Bad Seeds, um, any of their mates who came in to do session work on the other tracks, and um, a few other people just kind of hanging around at the time. So, yeah, I think each people get a couple of lines to sing, but it was just a way of bringing the whole album back together. Um, if you remember that section towards the end of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the movie... Yeah where um, after Val Kilmer's character has survived being shot and then the narrator jokingly says, let's just bring back in everyone who got killed in the rest of the film. In a way, this is doing the same thing. People you've just heard singing about themselves basically being murdered and telling the stories of their own demise um, roll back in for a final bit to go, yeah, but, you know, it's just a story. So uh, I'm, I'm all right, really. Actually, referring back to Wikipedia disclosure, interestingly enough, Shane McGowan, Mm-hmm. comes up and, and i i didn't realize it was him at all uh yeah he's i think because in a lot of ways um the pogues and the bad seeds have a lot of the same dna in their sound i think it kind of makes sense that they are uh they were they end up kind of knowing each other and they've collaborated on a few things before now but chair mccown's also just got such a distinctive slurred kind of you know drunken delivery to things that you can only have got through living the life that he's had and losing as yeah. many teeth as he has. That he's a very unique little element to just drop into a song, just when you need something that kind of raw to uh, to or bring it together. Oh, okay, yeah, and that brings us to the end of the album. So, um, unless there's some special editions that I missed. So, uh, but no, no, it's uh, they've remastered a lot of his uh, recordings um, of late, but um, the. Apart from B-Sides, which you kind of have to track down on a separate album that came out about 10-12 years ago, um, B-Sides and Rarities. There are some additional songs in these sessions that were featured, like there was a B-Side for Where the Wild Roses Grow and some other stuff that's of a similar kind of sound, but nothing too, you know, distinctively different from anything that we've already heard. Okay. Um, And 
I don't think it's popped up, but what are your highlights? I mean, what your if you had to choose a track or two that you put above anywhere else, what would you say? I'd probably say Henry Lee on this one, just because it's such a nice song. And because, like I said, having been a bit older and been around when Where the Wild Roses Grow first broke, I've heard that song hundreds of times. And it's it's kind of like, you know, Paradise City or that kind of thing now. I've just, I've, I've heard it enough that I don't really need to hear it again. But Henry Lee is a lot more it's still fresh because it hasn't been overplayed in the same sort of way. And oh. it, it fits in really nicely with um, his next kind of four or five albums, I guess, in terms of sound, given that, as we'll get to in a minute, everyone raves about the follow-up Boatman's Call, but I've, I've never really liked it that much. Um, and it's, again, it's just got PJ Harvey in it, which is always a bonus as well. Okay. In terms of reception... Murder Ballads was the band's biggest commercial success to date and most likely helped by the unexpected repeated airplay of Where the Wild Roses Grow on MTV. MTV even nominated Kay for their Best Male Artist Award of that year, though this nomination was later withdrawn at Kay's request that we touched upon earlier. Kay later said, I was kind of aware that people would go and buy the Murder Ballads album and listen to it and wonder what the hell have I bought this for because the Kylie song wasn't any true indication of what the record was actually like. So, in terms of um, websites and publications that reviewed it, based on Wikipedia again, uh, Drowning Sound gave it 8 out of 10, Entertainment Weekly gave it A, the LA Times, like 4.5 out of 5, the NME, 7 out of 10, Pitchfork Media gave 9.2 out of 10, but that was a review. That was reviewing, I think, the like about four albums that was released at the same time, mm-hmm. um, remastered albums. Oh, Q- right. Yeah, Q gave the three out of five. Rolling Stone four out of five. Select Magazine gave it five out of five, and Spin, which I referenced earlier, was five out of ten. Um, the, the four, the, the all music review mentions that divided between originals and covers, the record is awash in both morbid humour and sobering horror, as the bad seeds provide an appropriate backdrop for the carnage, alternating between blues, country, and lounge jazz. It's a tricky one because, as I said, it's not in a lot of ways um, very accessible as an album. It's not built around singles, really, apart from like one or two tracks. It's not arguably one of the, you know, first three or four Nick Cave albums I would give someone to listen to if they were getting into him. It's interesting in the reviews as well to see the kinds of publications giving it the high marks. This is one of those albums where that music critics love because... It gives them an opportunity to demonstrate their perceived superiority over their readership by saying, look, this album's brilliant. And if you don't like it, you just don't understand because you're not as clever. Uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't just know music as well as we do, especially like NME and Rolling Stone and those kinds of people falling over themselves for it. Whereas even like Nick Cave fans would kind of say to you, oh, there's some great tracks on there, but there's some that aren't quite so good. So it's not one of his best albums. It's uh, and. It's- take it from there yeah it's interesting i think the two i'm assuming the two big ones so you got where the wild roses grow and henry lee are probably more famous for the circumstances around their recordings and the guest vocalists perhaps more than nick cave on his own which i I was i find quite interesting i mean i i would not known about the album at all without the fact that that song was on ultimate kylie for example so I've never really listened to anything by PJ Harvey, to be honest. She's a, a tricky one in a lot of ways. Um, she purposefully changes her style from album to album. Her early stuff's quite sort of grungy and a bit 
a little bit difficult. Then she suddenly hits quite a nice kind of alt rock sound, but then dips off into um, sort of piano ballads, does like folk music, um, collaborations with other artists, like really um, quite electronic stuff. Um, I've not heard a new album. I don't know if it's quite out yet, but the album before that was, again, like modern style English folky songs, but quite sort of upbeat and a bit kind of perky. Like she changes her vocal style in every recording as well. So she's another one where you'd struggle to, you know, give an album that's indicative of her to give out to people to start with. But um, loads of great stuff in there if you sort of dig into her catalogue a little bit. Okay. So... What we'll do now is that we're reaching the end of the podcast and this next this bit is now called the final question because I haven't thought of a decent music related way to describe it yet. This is the there's, part... a, there's a competition in there somewhere, isn't yes, there? Yes, yes. And no, I will not call it the final countdown because it doesn't fit. The This is part where I'll, the question is raised to myself and everyone else. Would you listen to the album again or, and has it encouraged you to listen to the artist's other work? Now, the question the question probably doesn't fully apply to you, Lee, um, but we can kind of twist it to say that, is it, is it the first time you've really listened to it in a while? Or Yeah, I mean, I can answer it objectively, and I think you'd probably say that if you, if you already liked similar artists to, to this, and I'm struggling to think of anyone immediately off the top of my head who sounds like Nick Cave, but the kind of... I suppose, you know, dark, modern folk music, that kind of, of sound of things, you'd probably listen to this. And if you if you liked where it went musically um, and you, you, know, you found his, you know, you didn't find his voice off-putting, you know, the same reason that there's lots of people who just kind of listen to Smashing Pumpkins or um, get really put off by other sorts of singers' voices, um, you'd probably want to go and, and explore a bit more. I think there's enough good songs and good moments on here to make you think, oh, this isn't too bad. I'll see what else this guy has done, rather than it being so in- immediately off-putting and, and difficult to listen to that you go, I don't think I'm going to like anything else this guy does, even if this is a very atypical album for him. Okay, and so the question, well, flip the question around to me, is that I probably would listen to it again. I, probably some songs I wouldn't mind skipping. Um, the main thing, though, is that I am quite curious, particularly after hearing you speaking about him, to listen to more of his other stuff. So my follow-up question then to Lee, if you was to encourage me to listen to one or two other albums from Nick Cage, by Nick Cage first, what would you recommend me listen to? Uh, by Nick Cage? Um, I don't know quite what his recording output's like these days, but I imagine it's probably a, a lot of a lot of screaming. Uh, Nick... <laughs> Bloody hell. That was a good one. That was a classic. You've got to keep that one in. <sighs> I can I can hear Tony laughing now. Um, um, I would say go back to the two albums immediately preceding this, um, Henry's Dream and Let Love In. Henry's Dream is more of the folky, stompy kind of sound of it, and Let Love In is more of the kind of jangly rock kind of sound, but also has songs like Red Right Hand, which are really sort of dark and sinister, but in a really cool way. Red Right Hand is the song that appeared on the soundtrack to the first Scream movie and the Songs in the Key of X album, okay. which was off the, from the first sort of two or three seasons of X-Files music, which also has some belting songs on there, which is really worth checking out. But if you... The bits that it sounds like you liked from Murder Ballads is all about those two albums. How his career went before then... Um, before Henry's Dream, there's an album called The Good Son that's mostly songs like Henry Lee. It's a lot more kind of slow-paced and, and, and ballady. 
his albums before that is when you get more into his post um, birthday party days where it's a bit more a bit more jangly and a bit more angry punky sounding it, okay. it's got a lot in common with his grinder man albums which is a, a more recent project that he's done knowing the sorts of stuff that you like outside of, of this you probably quite like some of those early albums as well but it's you know get to those in, in your own time really okay but... following this album is when he went into quite a sort of somber like boatman's call um, no more shall we part nocturama quite kind of dour albums for a few years so yeah those two are my recommendations for sure okay i'll definitely check those out That's it, we're at the very end now. Um, I just want to say thank you to for Lee to putting up with a very random technical issue and for agreeing to join me. You're very welcome. If there's one thing that I'm always happy to do, it is to waffle about music. So I hope to perhaps see you again if in the future if people like the idea and would like to hear more Pick a Discs. Where can we find you online, Lee? The best place to find me online is at my writing community website, which is um, mzp-tv.co.uk, where I've been hosting an online community of uh, fiction writers for the last, how long is it now, 12 years? Yeah, just over 12 years. Wow. And there's there's all kinds of original work and content on there, stuff that even um, Matt and Tony themselves have uh, been writing over the years. And we're just currently expanding into a slightly new venture through... Um, some chaps we've encountered uh, at a website, Fiction Vortex, who are basically publishing weekly serials um, of a variety of works, sort of sci-fi, thriller, um, horror, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Tony and myself have yeah have a project going with them uh, that's doing a lot of um, near-future cyberpunky kind of stories at the moment. So we're very excited to see where that one's going. Yeah, I've started reading Timeline. I think is Tony's. Mm-hmm. It I've is. Started reading that. Yeah. And but again, thank you for coming in. And you can find Pick a Flick, which is which is what this is going under, on ev- anything to do with podcasts now. iTunes, Stitcher, Google, iCast, Pocket Casts, Carrier Pigeon, if they do podcasts. You can find us on Facebook under Pick a Flick. We're on Twitter under Pick a Flick Pod. Uh, on, and we're also underneath the whole Black Hole Media umbrella as well. And should Pick a Disc continue, we've got our own Twitter account already. I saw it was free and I leapt at it trying to grab it before someone else did so you can find me on pick a disc on twitter with that disc with a c not a k and if you listen if you like what you listen to or would like to suggest other albums use the twitter account for now it's the only pick a disc related thing there Uh, send us all your suggestions send us feedback uh, suggest suggestions for future episodes Uh, if you want to suggest albums there's only one well one and a half rules in that it's got to be a album by not from an artist so i won't accept compilations or soundtracks it's got to be like from one artist or one band so we can kind of look at it as an album as a whole so if you want to suggest albums please go ahead so my name's matthew latham and again thank you to lee crimes thank you very welcome you've been listening to pick a disc and if you listen, if you come back next week, we won't be talking about music. We'll be talking about films. But please follow us on Twitter, and we will let you know on the Picker Flick Twitter account, Facebook page, the Black Arm Media page about any further stuff on Picker Disc. Thank you.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.